And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. And we are also podcasting the programs at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and a lot of other locations. We certainly hope that you will listen to the podcast, which provides you with uh, a longer interview than you would hear on the radio broadcast. So please listen to the entire interview and uh, then go to the uh, guest's website. It is a little grocery cart on the SoundCloud player where you click on it. It takes you to the guest's website so that you can continue your evolutionary process. If you like what we're doing here on the program and you like the direction we're going and you're really into this 2020, the year of perfect vision, which we continue uh, here on uh, Tell Me Your Story. Uh, we can certainly use all of the financial support as well as energetic support. We do have a PayPal and Patreon account. So if you'd like to support us in that way, please do so. I use those because they are uh, much more secure than uh, any other method. And I thank those who have supported and I thank those who are going to support the work that we're doing today. The work we're doing today has to do with our, our guest, Earl Hurd. He is the CEO and founder of BIC, B-I-C Alliance, which publishes the BIC magazine, North America's largest multi-industrial, multi-departmental energy and construction publication. Uh, He is uh, or has 40 plus years combined experience in industry and marketing, having served as an industrial training manager and a buyer for Ethel Corp. And that's in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, before founding BIC Alliance in 1984. And uh, having uh, spent the last 30 years helping grow industrial, industrial service companies through marketing and training, consultation, uh, mergers and acquisitions and executive uh, recruiting, he has uh, a range, a wide range of contacts in um, petro- petrochemical refining, construction, environmental, and other sectors. He uh, founded BIC Media Solutions in 2005, and I want to welcome him to our program as ambassador. Uh, Earl has uh, uh, is active in helping BIC Alliance marketing partners and readers of BIC Magazine and hopefully others Find greater faith, hope, peace, happiness, and success through Bic Media Solutions, where we found, uh, where uh, he, uh, we fund, uh, this is Bic, funds and co-produces meaningful media and events. And these activities include funding, co-producing, and promoting inspirational entertainment and faith, family-friendly books, movies, TV shows, and a speaker's bureau and events that help enhance lives and create better relationships at home, work, and in our community. Earl Hurd, thank you so much for uh, sharing with us this time here on Tell Me Your Story. Thanks a lot, Richard. I, I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you and your audience this morning. Well, I have to tell you that this is uh, uh, quite exciting from the standpoint of learning more about how a business, so to speak, operates, but even more so about how you see business 
operating and how you feel it, uh, even though I don't like the word should, how business should be operating or should be transitioning, especially in this new decade. Uh, this program uh, is uh, one that uh, is going to, uh, I think, open people's eyes. We not only have a new decade that starts 2020, January 1st of 2020, and I know back in uh, 2000, there was all kinds of discussion as to when the millennium began. Was it 20, uh, 2000 or 2001? <laughs> yeah. We're not going to go there. We're just going to say, hey, the new decade begins. I have a phrase I use, and you have a, one as well as far as the new decade, and mine is 2020. Uh, the year of perfect vision, and that's inner vision. Do you believe that uh, 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 not only CEOs, but everybody down the line from the top down needs to start tapping into that inner vision in order to guide them and the company they work for, whether they own it, whether they founded it, etc., in order to make that company successful? Well, I, I'm, I'm glad you asked, uh, Richard, because I'm really – uh, very passionate about uh, uh, not only training but um, networking to help uh, enhance lives and uh, uh, create better relationships, and that's really our mission here uh, at the Big Alliance, where we publish Big Magazine, and then we uh, do the. It's actually alligator management and marketing seminars, and uh, of course we publish custom books and do movies, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll tell you, uh, change is just such a part of life, and some people know how to embrace it, some are afraid of it, but I have found that uh, it's kind of like taking your hand uh, and putting it in front of your face and not being able to see the trees of opportunity behind us. And uh, that's the way I kind of look at uh, embracing change, not only to focus on what's going on in our life now, but what can be if we make just some minor changes like better training, uh, greater kindness, and in my case, I believe better, you know, more faith and uh, just reaching out to help others. Well, I know that in this country in particular, because of the dynamics that have, have sort of developed, if you will, or evolved over the decades, uh, a lot of people are concerned about that aspect of business. And I, I sit here and I'm, now, f just for your point of reference, I worked for 15 years for a Christian radio station. Oh, now, okay. Now, now, they never asked me what my faith was. They never asked me what my denomination was. They never asked me, uh, you know, if I, you know, if I had accepted Jesus as my personal savior. That wasn't an issue. I was doing a job for them. I enjoyed doing it. Uh, and my philosophy from a very early age, uh, and I started in this business in, as, at the age of 19, was that if I make the company successful, then I will be successful. And that seems to be, unfortunately, a philosophy that doesn't really exist uh, in 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 the business world today, let alone in other parts of our society as well. It's It's like... I'm going to get what's mine. And the case in point, in 1987, ABC News ran an article about about uh, Motorola. And a plant yeah. in the Midwest was, was laying off over a 1,000 people. And do you know why? Because they had done an inventory. And a million, about a million dollars worth of materials was missing. And the only conclusion mm. they could come to was 
that the employees must be taking the attitude, well, they don't pay me enough, so I'm going to take this and I'm going to take that and I'm going to take the other. And you have to wonder how many of the thousands of people who were laid off were one of those people that were pilfering from the company. Now, that is the opposite of that philosophy. What is your thought on that in terms of making this company Uh, successful? There was a book written by a guy named Les Gilman probably 40 or 50 years ago called The People's Secret. And simply put, and I talk about it a lot in my alligator marketing and my books, but simply put, the people's secret is that when we make others number one, uh, they'll realize how smart we are by making them number one, and they will tend to respond in kind. And uh, it's really called the law of reciprocity. Mm -hmm. But so many of us think that... uh, uh, when we focus on our goals and achievements, but uh, instead of looking at the other people's goals, uh, goals, uh, it doesn't make any difference whether it's our own family, whether it's in our workplace, in the community, in our church. Uh, it's, it's what we do together that counts, and that's really uh, what uh, what my st- uh, my book, my most recent book. And by the way, that book just reached uh, the Amazon Top 100 uh, bestsellers on uh, Friday the 13th in the <laughs> autobiography biography section. So we're real proud of that. And, you know, our goal is really not to make money off these books and movies, but to share our blessings with others. But it, it really boils down what I've found is uh, – you know, always be continuous learning, uh, make networking part of your day-to-day activities, and, uh, um, you know, share share your blessings and experiences with others, and they'll do the same. Now, this is the book, uh, It's uh, it's uh, What We Do Together That Counts, and that's, of course, the, the BIC Alliance story. Uh I, I pick up on some different things from other folks sometimes, and one of those is the cover of the book. And you have a stack of very diverse hands there, stacked together, uh, as you often see, say, uh, uh, in a huddle of a football game, just before they uh, kick off at the beginning of the game. And all let's right. all go out there and break. But yeah. what I notice, <laughs> what I notice, my friend, is the top hand has a ring on it. Yep. Can you tell me why? Well, that ring is the uh, big magazine. Aha! And, and it, cel- <laughs> it celebrates, our, it, it rec- it's a way of recognizing our company. Uh, we've been in business now thir- uh, 35 years, hmm. and um, that's been the cornerstone. Of, I mean, that's our mission, you know, he- helping enhance lives by producing media and events that matter and, you know, connecting people. And so um, in my business, but it pretty much anywhere, uh, none of us get a second chance uh, to make a – I mean, none of us get a first chance, a second chance to make a good first impression. Right. And, um, and, and, and so we've learned within our books and our movies, even in a presentation, um, uh, the book is the hook, and that begins – with the cover itself, if you can't generate interest in with the cover 
and the uh, brief synopsis on the back, nobody's going to ever open a book. Exactly, exactly. Obviously, if it's eye-catching for starters, as well as the title, that makes a big difference. But you have another book as well. Uh, it's called Earl's Pearls. It's jewels yeah, of wisdom a... <laughs> worth passing on. Well, uh, uh, that book, um, of course, I've been publishing Bic Magazine. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was at rock bottom in the early 80s. I had to start over when I was... Uh, 42 years old and wow uh, so i've I've always given books away even when i was busted i give books away as a way of uh, you know showing acknowledgement for ceos and others and uh so over the years every issue of bic has some career enhancement articles in it and so what i did is i pulled about 60 of the best and i put them into a book uh called Earl's Pearls, and it's everything from getting along with, uh, getting along with uh, supervisor-subordinate relationships to uh, the uh, sales triangle to uh, how to even deal with uh, so, uh, someone who's lost a loved one, you know, because uh, uh, basically just uh, pearls of wisdom. And then in the back I have like a over a hundred little comments like it's just as easy to sell a Rolls Royce as it is a Chevy as long as you know who can buy the Rolls. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, know your audience, the as they fact, say. <laughs> I have, uh, and I solicited all of our readers, which you got about 120,000 in print and about another 35,000 online uh, for their best biblical uh, pearls of wisdom. And so we've got... Uh, We've got that at the very back, you know. We're talking with uh, Earl Hurd. He is the founder of BIC and the BIC Alliance. And uh, Earl, I uh, would like to know a little bit about uh, your, uh, especially your downturn. You, there's even a, there's, you also have a book in regards to this as well. Yeah, and a, a companion video. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Danny Trejo, I'm sure you may remember him. He's the guy that always plays the villain in movies and, uh, Oh yeah, he was the moderator. We shot that out in L.A. And mm. basically, what I did there, Richard, is um, I had a book that told uh, 25 stories uh, of redemption from a wide variety of people: alcoholics, drug drug addicts, um, ga- uh, ga- uh, gambler, gamblers, business failures, uh, um, sexual addiction. Uh, you know addiction, uh, PTSD, and uh, so I put them all in a book, and of course, Danny Trejo has been in three prisons before he became a born-again Christian, and then I took the best six of those, and I um, and I put them into this, uh, basically it was a trailer for uh, what I thought was going to become a TV series, and, uh, and it's being played in front of about 40 million homes, uh, Mostly Christian, you know, TV channels like uh, uh, Crossflix and uh, Pureflix and Dove Channel. Uh, but um, yeah, that's that's something. I, and what we donate them and let people use them for fundraisers. Like last week, uh, we gave away about fifty to uh, some men that are living in a, uh, a um, one of those. Uh, rehab facilities for alcohol and drug addicts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of time I go in and do uh, 
testimonies, uh, you know, telling my story, you know. And the book entitled... Either I've I've gone through some of that myself or I know someone who's died from it, you know, so... And the book title is Rock Bottom and Back, a uh, from Desperation to Inspiration. And I have to say that there are, uh, it seems to me that there are more and more stories like this uh, because... And I go back to um, uh, uh, not only the story of Motorola, but also going back to 2008, 2009, when I heard that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people lost their jobs due to the, the uh, downturn in the economy, the, as they, yeah, I guess yeah. they say, the Great Recession. But here's something that you, you uh, delve into and in, in one of the things that uh, you're very passionate about, entrepreneurship. And one of the things that I noticed in the news shortly after the downturn <clears throat> and all these people losing their jobs uh, was two things. Number one, I wondered how many of those people who lost their jobs hated their jobs, which in a one sense was sort yeah, of a good yeah. thing that they lost their jobs. Number two, they also started tracking the number of entrepreneurial ventures that started up in 2009, 2010 and since. And many of the people who lost their jobs, that's what they decided to do. Look, I don't have a job, so I'm going to do something that I'd really like to do, start a business that I'd really like to start. Is that how BIC began for you? Well, i tell you, uh, just the elevator uh, explanation would be like this. Uh, from my very, uh, very early on when I was a youth, I was a very, very slow learner. And uh, those days you didn't have television, so you had to learn by reading. So I became a, I became a passionate reader as early as a second grade. And mm-hmm. I always liked reading biographies and autobiographies and how people have became successful. But um, but myself, I was a slow learner. It took me about, uh, uh, I wasn't, most people learn how to swim when they under 10 years old. It took me to about 13. And I almost drowned a couple of times. And it was very embarrassing. But one day, a lifeguard saw me in the shallow end of the pool. And he said, what are you doing down there? Because all my friends was in the deep end. And, and he, I said, well, I can't swim. And that guy stopped right on the spot, Richard, took off his little shirt and his little whistle and got in there and said, can you listen? Will you practice? I said, yes, sir. He said, if you do what I tell you and you practice and listen, uh, one day you'll be a lifeguard. And look, that was uh, in the you know uh, mid-50s. And, uh, he, and uh, that was... That was my greatest goal. If I could ever become a lifeguard, sure enough, two years later, uh, I became one. So that instilled me a passion for not only training myself, but training others. And so in the industry, when I went into industry, um, I didn't have the formal education, uh, you know, graduate from my engineer or whatever for Mm -hmm. going into the industry. But but I learned from hands-on experience and self self study and uh, mentors. And uh, one day I was out there only two months to the day, and they had a big explosion. And uh, I got to watch how people responded, even people in top management that uh, some were running when they should have been taking the lead and putting the fire out. And I made up my mind that day. If I was going to be successful, my my ticket to success would be to learn everything I could about safety and fire training. And, of Mm. course, I felt like 
nobody's going to outwork me because I'd been a journeyman carpenter before going into plants. And sure enough, uh, I started moving up in the organization. I became the training manager for a division, and uh, that's where I got interested in television. And uh, so, I, you know, in the late 80s, television was coming into being, uh, late 70s, actually. And uh, so I decided, well, I'd start a training company. You know, I didn't know the first thing about running a business or how to sell uh but I went to New York and learned how to make TV training programs and promotional voting uh, programs, and I went into business. Well, that was in 1980, and by 1982, I had uh, I had gone not only consumed all of my savings and everything, and I was on the verge of bankruptcy. The the only thing uh, I, I spent all this money on advertising, Richard. Mm. And in trade publications, and only people that ever call me people want to sell me another ad. So I finally <laughs> said, "The heck with this! I'm going to start a newsletter mm-hmm. strictly for training people because I know who to mail to and I know the content they need." So I started this newsletter, and of all things, uh, it became like the tail wagging a dog. The magazine, the newsletter, it became a magazine. The magazine became the forerunner of Big Magazine, and the video company. I, you know, I had to shut. That's where I went busted. I lost everything, and my wife, you know, told me that, you know, when uh, when I went to bar against our home, she said, "Look, I love you, but you're not making God and your family and uh, uh, others number one. And if you lose this home, I'm gonna leave you." And that's exactly what happened. I mean, I I was. They say the difference between a homeless person and a couch surfer is a couch surfer still has a few friends. Mm-hmm. And so that was started the long road back. And I, uh, I went back in the industry to help start a company up and uh, worked at night, you know, at night. Yeah, I couldn't go anywhere because I didn't have any money. So I studied about niche publications, and then I started back in business in 84. And it was really, really tough until... Uh, I mean, you know, I had to border for places to live and, you know, always worried about making payday. But uh, in 89, the Valdez spill, uh, spill took place. Oh, yeah. And uh, so a lot of people from Louisiana and Texas became, you know, overnight millionaires, very successful. And they were all using my magazine because it was a, called the Business and Industry Connect, Connection. And uh, so I I rose with them, and for you know, and then along the way I learned about investment banking, and uh, so my son-in-law was an acquisition attorney. He came to work with us in '99, and since then we've done uh, 450 million dollars in uh, energy-related mergers and acquisitions, and and uh, we got a third partner with that, and um, and then we have a recruiting company. And so all, they, my son-in-law runs all of that, Richard, he, the, him. And I've got, of course, I'm, I love training. So I've got very, very well-trained management and salespeople. Mm. And, We're, of course, that's what, I, that's what I love doing, you know. To me, uh, you, you don't really become a good manager or a good salesperson till you can not only do it, but you can train somebody else to do it better. Or <laughs> certainly it's good. <laughs> 
Well, I can I can attest to that. Uh, one of the things that I made it my goal in broadcasting. First of all, I decided to go to vocational school to a broadcast school for uh, it was one oh, of those yeah, six month yeah. things, right? Because I wanted to make a difference in the industry. Uh, because back then it was really hurting back in the 80s. And the reason it was hurting was because it was deregulated. They eliminated the third class license, which meant anybody and their brother could get in, could get in, which I don't have a problem with anybody and their brother getting in. But if you don't know the basics of the business that you're going into, how can you do a good job? How can you provide quality? Programming? Oh, yeah. You got to you got to know yourself and know your industry. Yeah. And you got to know your competitors. Yeah. You know, and if you don't, you're not going to be as successful as you could be. Exactly. Uh, so I, I basically. Fact, I, vi- I produced a couple of years ago. I produced uh, a little short video called Energy Marketing 101 mm-hmm. that explains the relationship between upstream, midstream, and downstream in the energy sector. And that thing's available free online, uh, and it's being viewed all over the world as a training a way of starting to train people that are entering the sector. We're going to continue our conversation here. I want to take a quick break here. I want to let our listeners know your website is BIC, that's B-I-C, BICmediasolutions.com. You can find out more about Earl. Earl Hurd, who is the CEO and founder of uh, BIC Alliance. We're talking with Earl Hurd. He is the founder and CEO of BIC Alliance. BICmediasolutions.com is his website, BICmediasolutions.com. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, Earl, uh, has to do with uh, one of the philosophies that I picked up uh, early on in my career was uh, you work with what you have until you get what you want. I didn't sit around complaining because we didn't <laughs> have the sure. the high tech in, sure. the high tech equipment that uh, the big uh, New York and L.A. Uh, stations had, uh, and I was able to create some really good production and high quality uh, production valued uh, 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 programming with with what some would say with what little I had, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. And and yet there would be people who would sit and moan and go, oh, I wish we had this. And I, you know what? I wish we had it too. But we got work to do, and let's see what we can create with what we've got. You know. And eventually, I did go to work for a station that did have the high tech stuff. You know. And boy, things even got better from there. So, what about uh, your feelings in that regard? Uh, there, there well, are a lot of companies uh, that that can't. You hit right but, on an important thing. Yeah. Before I mention that, I'll answer that. I want to tell you, I love your song that leads into your program, "Taking Care of Business." Oh yeah, that's a nice touch. Well, we we uh, uh, credit our uh, our morning man here, Baron Ron Heron, with coming up with that tune for the uh, for the commerce program, which is now the CEO report. He's the one that said, "Hey, you know, you ought to use this," and they've been using it ever since. Uh, now, going back to um, what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, r- refresh my memory about specifically what your question was. Well, having to do with uh, going into uh, a workplace uh, and working with what you have. Oh, yes, yeah, you me, can want yeah, what, well, you can want you, all this stuff. What but, I found, you know, you know, first of all, it's it's uh, you can't imagine how creative you get um, in times of adversity, you know. Mm-hmm. But that can also happen in times of opportunity your mind and and your level of work. And, but that's what I had to do. I had to figure out ways. That's why I named the, uh, my book 
um, in my training program, Alligator Marketing. Now, why not so, Crocodile? Uh, why not Crocodile Marketing? Year, so, <laughs> and gorilla Marketing. Uh-huh, okay. And so I had to use very cost-effective, economical ways to promote my business that uh, most people either hadn't thought of or felt too proud to do, you know. And uh, to me, I'd made up my mind uh, after I went broke, I was going to get my family back. And uh, and I, I always heard work won't kill you. So I said, I'm going to find out. So you know, <laughs> uh, I've worked. Uh, down here, we tell all of our people, which about 40 of them, you know, you work any half day you want around here. That's uh, twelve hours. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. And not only that, and this is very important to all your readers. Uh, one of my mentors, a guy named Butch Baum, uh, he he's the guy I went to learn how to sell from mm-hmm. with, you know, because I didn't know I left the industry. And this guy was renowned as the uh, the best salesperson and insurance in the world at his time. He had his own Rolls Royce, his own plane, and one of the biggest homes in Baton Rouge. And and he told me a couple of things. He said, um, first of all, uh, when I went busted, I called him, and I had a great job opportunity, uh, like in Tulsa, Oklahoma. My home was in Baton Rouge until I moved to Texas. About a year and a half ago. But anyway, I called Butch and I said, what do you think about that? He said, Earl, he said, let me give you some advice. He said, you are now part of the fraternity of the fallen. And he said, because nobody is ever going to help you more than people that have fallen entrepreneurs or fallen people that are now, uh, you know, doing well. And uh, so, if you, uh, my suggestion would be, stay at home, get you a good job, focus on getting your life and your family back together, and then when you do go back in business, people will help you that would have never helped you before, because some of the most successful entrepreneurs and executives in the world are people that have also fallen before us. And the only way you can get up on your feet is uh, by helping somebody, uh, by helping somebody, uh, and then they respond in kind. And, and nobody's going to help you unless you. It's a reciprocating relationship. That's why I'm so passionate about networking. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Matter of fact, this past year uh, I produced uh, two video programs on the power of networking for the secular market, and I produced uh, five. I helped fund and produce five called Champions of Christian Networking. Mm-hmm. And all your readers can <clears throat> learn about all that at Big Media Solutions, but plus they can watch many of them that, that can help change their lives for the better. Now, you mentioned one individual already. I'm curious as to... Uh, who were others who influenced you, who inspired you, who encouraged you, uh, and sometimes maybe pushed you uh, in a you know pushed you in a way that maybe you thought, yeah, that's not very nice. But but the advice that they gave you, well, I tell you, Richard, I, I'm glad you asked that question because when I saw where you were calling from, uh, and I'm not going to take them in order, but when I saw where you're calling from, one of the most uh, interesting and influential people that I ever met 
and got to visit with uh, and write about was uh, T. Uh, T. Boone Pickens. Ah. And I met him out there at this really exclusive uh, resort hotel um, many, many years ago. Wall Street Journal had a uh, like an entrepreneur and executive conference there. And uh, so he, uh, I got to meet, I went there to meet him, really, and the people from Dow Chemical. And sure enough, I had a good chance to visit with him. And he told me, this was, I can remember it as clear as yesterday. He said, Earl, some people are made successful and wealthy so they can share their blessings with others who are less fortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I met, I got to meet Herb Kelleher. He was an amazing guy. I met him uh, at the, um, uh, the when Clinton, President Clinton was elected. He had like a, a, a meeting of all top executives in the country before he took office, and uh, so Herb Kelleher was there. And I went up there to take you know do bonus distribution of my magazine at the hotels and airports, and uh, I got to meet him and told him a little bit about what we was doing. He said, "Well, come see me." You know, and I went to Dallas and got to meet him, and he just couldn't have been nice. So he was a great role model, and and uh, but I I've met some characters now. I met um, <laughs> and actually did a video uh, about Minnesota Fats, and he, he you know he he was quite a character, and mm. he was a, one of the best self promoters, uh, uh, you know, that I've ever met. And, Many, many people, uh, Richards, uh, of course, my mother and dad and my father-in-law, uh, my dad lost his vision when he was uh, 38. He had to go to work in a blind stand, and he worked there all of his life. And uh, But he saved his money and gave us good values. And then my father-in-law, he was a Hungarian and had to drop out of school when he was in seventh grade uh, to help raise his family. And... Uh, he went went to South Pacific and became a, a you know decorated war hero, and then he returned and uh, he, he actually a lot of the Hungarians are uh, in the body business, so he learned how to fix cars, and he uh, could hardly read and write, but he opened a little shop next to the Exxon gates at Exxon, you know, in Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. and all the people in the plants would drop their cars off and. Uh, I mean, he became wealthy beyond uh, the imagination of most people at that time. But he always gave back. You know, he helped his family. I mean, uh, some people say he was a soft touch because uh, he helped so many people. But both of those people were role models, you know. Yeah. Well, that's remarkable. We're going to continue talking with Earl Hurd and talk more about BIC Alliance. BICmediasolutions.com is the website. Earl, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, um, and again, this is sort of the attitudes of today, and I know that you've heard this. You actually sort of addressed it just a little bit uh, in reference especially to, I believe it was you said, your father-in-law who went blind at 38. Uh, well, my father went blind at 38. Father. It was your father-in-law who became the mechanic. uh, Had the seventh grade education, right? And he became the mechanic, and again, wealthy uh, beyond people's belief. I wanted to ask you about how you talk with people who come come to you with the attitude uh, from the 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 mindset of the ninety-nine percent and the one percent, and we we all know where that's coming from. 
uh, where you've got these wealthy CEOs are getting these massive bonuses for we don't know what they're doing. And the people down below who are actually doing the work, making the money for the corporation, they get the you know, minimum wage, maybe, and, and, yeah. and, and that kind of stuff. And, and I'm not necessarily wanting to address the issues in that respect, but in terms of the attitude that, uh, that working America, the quote unquote 99% have, um, toward the 1%. And again, that may not be correct numbers. Oh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I got you. Okay. Well, uh, uh, let me kind of say this. I feel like when I first started out, I was part of that 1%, you know, and then when after I lost everything, then I was definitely part of it, and it took me 15 years of hard work to uh, to get back on my feet. You know, working all the time, and uh, but a couple of things. Number one, I had a lot of people help me. Uh, I kept a positive attitude because I felt like uh, there was no sense. And this is great advice for anybody: you can't dwell on the past except to learn from it. You can't put too much emphasis on the in the future except to plan on it. Mm-hmm. You got to focus on today, right now, what you can do, what, how you can uh, play in the game of life to be to achieve your maximum productivity and success every day. And uh, and you, there's no way you can do it except that other people embrace you. As far as that one percent. A lot of people, there's some that were born with a silver spoon in their mouth, but a lot of people, Richard, are, are like myself. They they grinded it out. They, you know, they, it didn't come easy. And personally, I found that most of those people are the most benevolent. You know, they're, they're so beholding to God and the, the community and others. You know, uh, I, I call it uh, sharing non-cash assets, but... You know, it can be money. It can, like mm-hmm. all these books and movies and speaking engagements. I'm 77 years old. I, I haven't had to do any of that since I was 65. And yet I feel like it's part of my mission. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I'm trying to encourage others to do, especially in the energy sector. Look, they've got, I live in Houston, Texas now, and it's the center of the, uh, you know, oil industry globally. Mm hmm. And m- many of my clients and friends, they can afford anything they want, you know, whether it's the best cars, the best homes, traveling all over the world. But there's, and, and, and I've been able to bless and do all the, a lot of those things, but I found no greater blessing, including things like drugs and alcohol, that gives me greater success than having greater faith and having peace. And that comes from helping others, period. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Earl Hurd, founder and CEO of Bic Alliance, is my guest. Stay tuned. We've got more coming your way here on Tell Me Your Story. And, of course, I want to let you know, as we've been doing throughout the program, the website that you want to go to to find out more about Earl and the work he's doing, BicMediaSolutions.com. That's Bic, B-I-C, MediaSolutions.com. I'm Richard Dugan with Earl Hurd. We'll be back in just a moment. Tell me your Stories And welcome back to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're here with Earl Hurd, founder and CEO of BIC, B-I-C, that's BIC Alliance Corporation. And again, I thank you so much for staying with us. 
Earl, I wanted to ask you as we as we come to the end, we still have several minutes left of this program. Um, but I wanted to ask you in regards to uh, going into a company that that's maybe struggling. It's looking for some answers. I mean, we see a lot of television programs, re- uh, reality shows uh, with uh, maybe Undercover Boss, for example, is a good example. Yeah. Uh, and they get to find out what's really going on, if they can maintain their disguise and uh, see how the employees really feel throughout the corporation, whether it's uh, just statewide or nationwide. Um, from your perspective, have you maybe not gone undercover, but have you been able to uh, uh, um, travel throughout the company if if that's uh, something that you are, are doing yeah, let me, uh, to get an uh, answer? What I refer to, and I learned check. this from one of my mentors, a guy named Merlin Kennecke, mm-hmm. who um, was the head plant manager at Ethel Corporation where we had 3,000 or 4,000 people. And uh, what he said, Richard, uh, was that uh, his management style was by walking around. And he walked around and, uh, you know, he, he'd get up at daylight and walk around that whole plant, and he would ask people how their family's doing, how their job is, any suggestions. He made you really part of a team. Mm. And, uh, and he was the kind of guy that... Uh, you wanted to uh, let him be your role model. And so I've taken what I learned from him and others, both good and bad managers, and uh, tried to focus that on, uh, you know, making my own uh, staff and fellow workers. I, uh, I call them co-workers or fellow bigsters. I don't like the term employees mm-hmm. because I think it's a team. I think God's the CEO and, you know, I'm just helping uh, be the COO. Well, I couldn't agree uh, with you more. That being said, I really, <laughs> as it relates to your readers, I mean, I'm sorry, your audience, I would suggest that they, uh, you know, always, that's a perfect time to write down your goals, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, for the coming year. I've been doing that. And I keep a journal. When I did my story about the last 40 years, I had journals that I could go back and calendars uh, and, you know, that I'd written down key points to where I could use it as a reference. Uh, but I'd suggest that. And for me, the cornerstones, which I would recommend to anybody, number one, to grow in our faith mm-hmm. and to help share our faith with others and our blessings. Number two is helping uh, our own family, being closer with them, giving them. Sadly, a lot of people give more recognition to a coworker than they will their own spouse or you know uh don't ever you know your kids mm-hmm. uh of course at my age another goal <laughs> is to live longer because i've had some bouts with uh you know uh health and the other is to always be helping uh others in my company and uh in the business and industry and the community and uh that that's been my goals but don't just write down a goal Write down specific things that you're going to do to accomplish that goal. Absolutely. And measure your performance. Around here, we fill out activity reports. I know it's all school, school, but because I'm managed by delegation, and I'm using that from something I learned at Ethel Corporation over 40 years ago. In other words, everybody has to be accountable. The best way to be accountable and also know where you're going 
is to keep a good journal. So we have what we call active reports. Uh, everybody in different departments, they'll uh, they send in their active reports on Friday. And this way, I can in an hour and a half, I can scan them all Saturday and and then help address. And another thing I'm doing that others might consider. Um, a lot of people come to me personally, but not everybody will go to the CEO or the owner. But so what we start doing, we uh, we began using this uh, what they call marketplace chaplains, mm-hmm. and, and uh, that has been a wonder wonderful thing because sometimes people, a lot of people think the chaplain goes in to try to make Christians everybody. What they do is they're more like a counselor. Mm-hmm. They don't really bring up the faith unless somebody wants it. Uh, but recently I had someone that built up uh, uh, over $50,000 in credit card bills. Mm. And another one was about to lose a marriage. Well, I visited with them, but then I directed them to, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the guy that's our chaplain and we've got one from baton rouge too Mm -hmm. i got the idea from uh uh the chicken people up in arkansas uh tyson they Mm -hmm. i think they have about 150 chaplains as part of their organs and it's very cost effective yeah well, unfortunately, we're running uh, running short on time on this broadcast. Stay right where you are, Earl, because we're going to continue uh, our conversation. But I want to let our listeners know we're talking with uh, Earl Hurd. He is the founder and CEO of BIC Alliance. BICmediasolutions.com is the website. And, Earl, I uh, thank you so much for joining us. I love many of the concepts that you're talking about and sharing, and quite honestly, they they actually transcend uh, uh, anyone's uh, uh, philosophical beliefs, if you will, because they work. I mean, that's really kind of what it comes down to. And, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I, I, one of the others that, that I have kind of held to, too, is uh, especially when I first started uh, early in my career back in the early 80s, um, you'd get these attitudes from people about – uh, what they were being paid. And this sort of ties into that story I yeah, mentioned about Motorola. Yeah. And I would get people that we would hire. We would tell them what the job description was. They said, okay, no problem. Here's what you're going to ca- get paid. Okay, that's fine. And then uh, three, four months into the into the deal, I'd say, would you please go and clean the bathroom? Because we had to do that. We didn't have a cleaning service. Yeah, yeah. a little bit of time. Yeah, and then they would say, well, but you guys don't pay me enough to do that. And I said, wait a minute. Uh, that was in the job description. I'm sorry. I do it. I do it when I do my eight-hour shift. So I'm asking you to yeah. do that, too. And many people, they then uh, this is sort of the question in regards to this whole aspect of compensation Everybody thinks that uh, they should be compensated exclusively through the paycheck. Well, I was given the opportunity to do interviews uh, between 7 and 8 p.m. on Monday through Friday and air them. Uh, I would record them ahead of time, uh, but I didn't get paid any extra for it. Uh, but what I began to realize was that the compensation wasn't going to come through the paycheck. It was going to come through not only the experience of doing the interviews, right. the materials that would, that, that would be provided, the connections, and and the opportunity to help other people, such as yourself and, and, and other people I would interview, to get a little more exposure so that people would know where they were coming from, what they were offering, 
And if people were interested, they'd follow up. They'd call them or nowadays they would go to their website and so forth. And so even though some might say that I am not well paid today, you know what? I tend to think I'm I'm, I'm doing pretty darn good. Hey, if I'm living in Santa Barbara, I ain't doing bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, well, um, my reply to that, uh, Richard, would be that, uh, and I tell people all the time, um, this is the first day in the rest of our life. And that being said, uh, in my own company, uh, in the hall in Baton Rouge, I've got a um, what I call the Hall of Fame, but it's also the Hall of Shame because I got my examples of what worked and what didn't work. But the key is to learn from both your successes and especially uh, from your failures. And um, that's what I, uh, in my seminars, I try to stress, there's two ways we can learn. One is just to stick our hand in a fire and get burned. The yeah. other is to look at the scars of somebody's already stuck the hand of fire and learn from them so you don't do it. And uh, that's one way. I don't care if I mean, I start off as a uh, um, what they call a, a, a mortar mixer, chopping mortar with bricklayers. And I made up my mind that no matter what the competition was, no, how, no matter how poor the job was, I was going to try to be among the parties working and the most congenial. And that way, if it was no more than getting a quarter an hour raise, I was going to be in contention. Yeah. And uh, you start off trying, that's what I did. I start off just trying to make a living. And now, you know, I got a multi-million dollar operation here. One of the things that uh, uh, I found so interesting, and this ties into uh, that whole philosophy that I've adopted of working with what you have until you get what you want, applies not just with um, with equipment and materials and so forth, but also with that whole aspect of, of compensation. And if you're not happy with the compensation you're getting, then go someplace else. I mean, that's the other aspect. Don't sit and grumble yeah. and bring everybody else down. Morale is a huge a huge deal, and and I I would have to believe that even in your company you've got human beings that are working there that are affected by all kinds of external forces, uh, you know the the economy and and uh, uh, politics and, and and the kids and the family and on and on and on and on, and so I would venture that this pastor this uh, this counselor as you've referred to earlier, uh, he plays a big role in helping to uh, foster good morale within the company. Doesn't sugarcoat it. But at the same time, um, you know, isn't going to sit there and just say, hey, you know, it's OK. And, yeah, go ahead and grumble and complain and moan and groan about, the, you know, the problems. Um, you know, it seems to me like that's uh, that's that's a very important aspect of it. Uh, well, t- two comments about that. Yes, we love having Brian Horner as part of our staff. But the two things I was going to say and it's part of my alligator marketing. Um, that's a book I'm going to be working on next year about the alligator marketing, and it's going to cover everything from uh, understanding the you know how business works in industry to getting along with the boss, networking, how to use uh, websites. But um, I've, I've felt like that when we have an attitude of gratitude 
And this book that uh, that I hear about all the time is uh, when you, you know, like making others, number one, they'll respond in kind. So if, if you build on that, and uh, I've, I've actually had people that have been in one job, but because they work so hard at it, and especially I would my, one of my suggestions, join every professional organization that you can related to your industry and get involved. And the two best spots to get involved are the newsletter and new members because that's where you can uh, make your best connections. Matter of fact, my son-in-law, when he graduated from LSU in law, he took that advice and went to work at Exxon, and he got active in the newsletter. Later on, my daughter wanted to, uh, you know, stay home with the kids, but through his networking, he was able and doing the newsletter, he he got a, a job paying forty thousand dollars more a year from the connections he made. So you kind of you got to think beyond you know your wallet to think about um, the future, and there's no greater asset than. Uh, Peace of mind, good, strong faith, and uh, great connections. That's how I got back on my feet. Yeah, you know, people help me. Yeah, but you, you know, can't let them down by not not going do a great job. I'm not talking a- about a good absolutely. one. I mean, great. A- absolutely, couldn't agree with you more. And and one of the lessons I learned from a, eh, I mean, he was a good and bad manager in 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 certain respects. But one of the things that frustrated me more than anything else was the philosophy that he tried to inculcate in me. And here we're talking about a man who is, he, he, he is a, a, a very faith-based individual, Christian, uh, but yet he had this philosophy, and it was the law of diminishing returns. And the best way to describe that for people is, don't put out any more than you're going to, you expect back. Huh. And matter of fact, we had a client who came in, who uh, p- signed a contract for, um, I don't know, six months, uh, maybe six months or so. But he also had uh, all of these reel-to-reels that he wanted to use as his programs. And each one was uh-huh. 15 minutes, but he had purchased a 30-minute segment. So I was asked to go through the process of transferring two r- programs at a time to a cassette uh, to make one program, Right. And uh, we had a problem because these were old, these were old reel-to-reels that squeaked when they went through the guides. So I had to get uh-huh. some silicone spray, and uh, you know I had to do some research to try to figure out how not to destroy the tapes, but also to remove the squeak, which I I accomplished. And I produced all of these reels. I and mean, there must have been thirty or forty final programs out of maybe eighty mm. or ninety reel-to-reels. The guy was on the air for two weeks and then canceled. Now, that was within his right, uh, but that was where my boss said, we're never going to do that again, we're, you know, and that's where the law of diminishing, diminishing returns. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. The guy may have canceled after two weeks, but the one thing that he does know is that we're here. Now, did he take advantage of us? I don't know, and I don't care. The fact of the matter yeah. was that this was a project, this was something that as a paying client at the time, he asked us to do. So there you go. And and that's why I, I, I feel, too, a lot of people, they think that um, when you take on a task that maybe is not within your purpose, your life's purpose, that 
Um, it's wasted time. Now, I've worked in a warehouse. I worked for a gas station. Uh, I worked for a multi-level marketing uh, company. I was working <laughs> on the inside. What did any of those have to do with broadcasting and doing interviews and, and so forth? Well, there were certain lessons that I did learn in each of those places uh, that that I think have have uh, helped me a great deal uh, in in my career. Here I am, over forty years in the business, and and wow, it's 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 quite remarkable some of the other things that I've done. Um, have you since you uh, had the upturn, since you began your climb back into the saddle, so to speak? Here you are, seventy seven. Uh, have you ever felt at, at, at a certain point along the way uh, up that ladder uh, that uh, you've been in the right place at the right time? Or have there been moments when you're going, how did I get here? <laughs> well, i tell you, it, it's, it's interesting. And I would say that one of the main things that we all need to do is uh, take a broader look at life. I mean, some of the things that... Uh, where my greatest uh, downfall have been the, the stepping stone for my greatest successes, my first company failing. Uh, you know, I, one time, I, and you got to be creative too, but one time a guy called me and uh, he said, I need some help finding a, uh, finding a good salesperson. I said, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anything about the recruiting business. And, uh, I said, well, we can run a nice classified uh, in the back of the book, you know, who's who's going to read it. He said, man, I'm not interested in that. He said, I'm interested in uh, you doing, you being a recruiter for me. You know everybody, and you got the contacts. And I said, well, what does a recruiter pay? He says, well, they pay 25%. I have to pay 25% of the person's annual salary and uh, um, then a retainer. I said, well, how about this? I'll do it for 20 and since you're a big client, and I'll do it for 20 no retainer. And uh, that put me in the recruiting business. Now, that was over 20 years ago, and I've been doing a million dollars plus in that business. And not only is you talk about have great connections, when I help get somebody a job, they're going to help me get the marketing contract and, uh, and uh, in some cases, uh investment banking deal mm. you know, we re- in 2017 we did a recap uh, for a company that uh that that man who was very young and been in business seven years he took a hundred million off the table we was able to get a couple of million out of it mm. one transaction matter yes. of fact that guy that uh, is my other partner in that john zapplack he is my film investment partner mm. You know, that's it's it, there's there's one aspect I've I have loved radio from the day from day one that I got involved in it uh, back in 1979. But I, of course, like many, was an avid radio listener as a kid growing up. My first transistor radio that I got for Christmas one year, I would stick under my pillow at low volume and just listen, listen, listen. Uh, never really thinking at the time that that would be me one day uh, uh, on the air. Uh, but um, it, it's just it's it's as if. Uh, I was, as I, I perceive my life in the right place at the right time throughout my life. Not to say that it's my, my, my life has been, uh, uh, a series of rainbows and unicorns or anything like that, but, <laughs> but, uh, certainly I've had my challenges, 
But uh, at the same time, the overall path uh, of my life has just been, you know, not something that I would sit and watch uh, on TV as far as like these reality shows where you watch people live in their lives. No, 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 no. Yeah. I'd rather be out living my life than watching other people live theirs. Uh, so um, uh, it's it's really really kind of neat to to talk with someone who has been who's uh, been at the top, then back down at the bottom, and then worked their way right back up to the top again. I do have to ask you maybe what might be considered a sensitive question. I, I maybe not. Uh, I'm curious when you were on your way back up and you were doing well and so forth. Did the wife come back? Well, uh, that's an interesting story. When when she and I was divorced. Uh, 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 several times we was divorced from nineteen uh, sixty-two, uh, and we remarried, and uh, we actually got the divorce in sixty-three. We remarried in, uh, uh, I'm sorry, eighty-three, and then we remarried in eighty-seven. Well, a couple of times she was a hairdresser; she didn't have any money. But a couple of times uh, uh, I needed money, you know, just to help get the magazine out, and she had loaned it to me. She didn't have any money because we'd almost lost everything. But she had loaned it to me, and uh, she was still a cheerleader for me. And if she ever got a problem, she'd call me. And uh, in 1987, uh, uh, we remarried, and it was no picnic, man, I'm telling you. Uh, you know, I used to hit the road on Sunday night, and, Monday, uh, and I'd come to Houston and uh, come back Thursday night and so I could make payroll. And she hung in there. She was a great cheerleader. Same way with my daughter. Mm. Uh, if I've got time, I'll tell you about Please. If you've got a few minutes, I'll tell you about my greatest sale. Please, go right ahead. Well, this was, this was my best, by far the most. And I've done million-dollar deals before, multi-million-dollar deals where I've made over a million on a deal. But, but my best sale was um, when we were at rock bottom, Richard. Uh, my daughter, who was about 12, 13 at the time, she was caught right between us. You know, she didn't want to take sides. Uh, I, you know, I was, you know, going from uh, some of my friends' place. I didn't really have my own until uh, a while. But uh, she came to me and she said, Daddy, I just don't want to be in the middle of all this, you know. Uh, she, you know, she was just going through puberty. It was a tough time for her. And, and uh so she said, I'd like to go away to a uh, boarding school. Richard, think, uh, that thinking about somebody being able to help me uh, put a, me put her in a boarding school was like sending her on a trip around the world. I had no money. I said, well, baby, I don't know what I can do, but uh, I'll do my best. And uh, so... Uh, I researched, I found a Catholic uh, boarding school in Lafayette, Louisiana, and it was an all-girls school. And then I found a Presbyterian uh, uh, school up in Port Gibson, Mississippi, called Chamberlain Hunt. And I went to the Catholic school, and they, you know, they they practically laughed me out of the place because they didn't have any money. So, uh, I, but I took my daughter and I, we rode up to Chamberlain Hunt, and, and uh, so... Um, she said, this would work perfect for me, but I had no money. And uh, so I went to the head of the school and said, look, here's the deal. It just so happened that I'd had a wreck 
uh, about two weeks before, and I had $2,500 on me because I didn't couldn't put it in a bank because it'd get garnished. And so I, you know, I operate off cash. Anyway, I said, here's the deal. I said, I don't, I, I've got $2,500 on me. If you'll take my daughter in this school, I will put advertising in your magazine, and I'll be an ambassador for your school for as long as I'm in business. And uh, surprisingly, uh, he said, "Okay, we'll do it." So I, I gave him twenty-three hundred. I kept two hundred to get, you know, for gas to get home. And uh, my daughter started school there next week. Wow! And uh, that's. That's why I know God had to have a hand in where I'm at. Oh. Yeah. Nothing, nothing earthly could make this happen. And Hard also, work and network and help, but this that, has got to be. I think God wanted, and it might be the same way with you or anybody in Christian media. You know, that is uh, that's a mission in my mind. If you know, yeah, well, to help share the word about faith and love, you absolutely, know, kindness. Uh, and trust, trust as well. Trust, yeah. You know, that's that's huge. I, I know that, uh, that that there have been times in my life where, you know, I've I've <laughs> not felt too trusting, if you will. And yet when I start looking back, when I start feeling those same feelings of, of frustration and so and desperation, I start looking back at, at the times when I felt it before as if, oh, my gosh, this is what's going to kill me. My life is over at this point. And yet... I'm looking back at those moments and I can say, yeah, that's how you felt then that you were going to die. <laughs> Guess what? You're still here because you're able to look back at those yeah. moments. So yeah. if you're still here, those events, those circumstances, oh, yeah. they didn't alive, kill you. You still got a chance. To exactly. Change. I just spoke to 100 uh, veterans in a prison here in Texas. Every one of them was uh, uh, veterans. Some of them spent time for life. And I went in and gave my testimony. That's what I said. Look, as long as you're alive, you can change. Yeah. And you may be confined uh, by a fence around you, but you're not confined. That, uh, don't let a fence in your mind com, uh, confine you. Exactly, exactly. Earl, let me ask you, before we wrap this program up, and I thank you for giving us so much time. It's really greatly appreciated. Um, when you decided that you were going to start your own business, you were going to start to do this. Did you have a particular goal in mind or were you impressed or inspired maybe by that still small voice inside uh, that if you're going to start this, this is the reason that you're going to start this um, we, yes, and the, your answer is, yes, I knew that I was passionate about training. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, because I, you know, I'd moved up pretty high, about as high as I could in industry because, um, you know, I, I believed in training and learning from others and mentors. Uh, so I knew that I wanted to be in training. I, and I, my aspirations were really just to get back on my feet and earn a living, you know, where I could uh, do something. Uh, they say if you love what you're doing, you've never worked a day in your life. And that's the way uh, uh, that's the way it's been with me. And uh, uh, the other thing I would suggest, particularly as you, to your uh, listeners there, because a lot of the CEOs, uh, 
One thing I found is that um, they say the book is the hook, and you don't uh, necessarily make money off of the renown of doing a book or a movie. I mean, uh, make money off of the doing the specific book or movie, but you can make renown uh, for uh, for doing it, you know? And uh, since I started doing books and movies and helping give them away and use them for fundraisers and donations, my business has quadrupled in the last 15 years. So that's why, like uh, this most recent book, uh, we've, it, you know, we cut the price and let people, you know, use them for donations. We give them away. And uh, like I said, my business court troop from about $2 million in 2015 to over $8 now. And the goal has nothing to do with money. The purpose has nothing to do with money. And, and it just it just comes. It just comes in. Uh, and yet yeah. that doesn't happen with everyone. But but that is some I think something that people need to realize that if you are living your life's purpose, uh, whether the money comes or not, live your life's purpose, because when your life is over, you'll be able to say at least at least I can I can move on to the next life um, feeling like. I, I left something better. I left the world a better place yeah. than I found it. You get a taste of heaven here by helping others. There you go. There uh, you go. Let me mention this, too. This might be very important to your listeners. Please. Um, as particularly as it relates to age diversity in the workplace. Uh, every day now in this country, 10,000 people are getting to be 65 years old. And a lot of these people, they don't necessarily want to work. They don't even have to work. Uh, but they're uh, tapping into those, uh, the older people can give you, they can be a great way to have uh, like a fractional CEO or a fractional marketing person mm-hmm. because they've got so much experience and so many contacts. And, you know, not only we, we do that, we partner with a lot of people. I, I believe in uh, doing what I do best, but if I need some a website divine, boom, I got somebody to do it. I don't own the equipment, the film equipment. I've got a partner that uh, has done them all over the world, uh, you know, and it's uh, my investment banking partner. Uh, one of them is a, a M&A guy. Another is a, a lawyer, and I'm the networking guy that helps put it all together. There you go. It's teamwork, you know, yeah. and that's yeah. that's what you have to do. I mean, yeah. it's it's very, very simple. Some people think you got to have... Uh, uh, you know, a doctor's degree or, you know, yeah. it's just using good sense and hard work. Well, it reminds me of, uh, it's not actually a, a joke per se, but it reminds me of the scenario of a couple and the guy, he, uh, you know, the, the, the couple realizes the dishwasher isn't working properly. The washing machine, the furnace is, <laughs> is giving them problems, this, that, and the other, the roof needs to be redone. And uh, the wife keeps telling the husband, call the guy. Call the guy. Don't do it yourself because you don't have and it's okay that you don't have the experience to fix all this stuff. Not every guy can do this. So call (laughs) the guy. And that's really what you're saying. The other aspect, too, I wanted to touch on real quick in terms of your negotiations with the boarding school is you there's a message in there that also says that 
there is more than one way to accomplish a goal. It doesn't have to be, okay, I'm sorry, Mr. Hurd, but it's going to be $50,000, and that's all that we'll take. We won't take anything else. And yet, you came up with another option that they were agreeable to. So keep talking. Keep coming up with new and creative ways in which you can achieve the things that you want. I think that that message comes through loud and clear in that story. Well, I'll close with this part. Uh, uh, One of the things I learned very, very early in life when I was trying to learn more faster is the importance of listening. Mm -hmm. Nobody has ever uh, listened themselves out of a sale or a better relationship. We can talk ourselves out of it all the time. Mm -hmm. But one of the first things I did uh, is I I developed a little training program on listening, and it's in... uh, it's in several of my books, and it's going to be. But basically, it it um, it's, talks about how to listen, like take the word L and break it down. A look, number two, I into, uh, interpret. You know, never uh, interrupt. And it's so simple. And by the way, uh, you know, I, I actually did a children's book um, about it. That is one of my most popular books. And I did it so people would read it to their kids and try to learn it themselves. Yeah, I saw that in here. I've got I've got uh, six salespeople here, all of them trained pretty much from never been never sold print advertising. I got six here that sold over a million dollars each. Hmm. Wow! Matter of fact, we had a couple hundred thousand yesterday. That's impressive. That's because they're well trained and they're passionate. Yeah. You can't fake passion. No, not at all. Well, first of all, I want to thank you so much for giving us so much time. And I know that you're pressed for that same time. So I want to get to this real quickly. I have three final questions for you. They're very quick. You may have addressed them throughout the interview, but I'd like to ask them pointedly. The first one is, who is Earl Hurd? Well, I would say this. I am a um, Christian energy and media entrepreneur who has a passion for helping enhance the lives of others and uh, connecting others for mutual benefit. Mm. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Uh, What my goal is, Richard, is to develop programs like my book, It's What We Do Together That Counts, and the next one I'm going to be working on, and The Power Network, and all that I did last year. This year, I'm going to be working on taking my alligator marketing uh, and management marketing and sales seminar and turning that PowerPoint and my notes into a book with a a companion videos. Hmm. And the whole goal is, uh, matter of fact, uh, Recently, my wife and I went and got uh, made arrangements for you know Tombstone and our uh, you know internment plans because we moved over here from Texas, and they they had about a hundred little things you could write on your uh, tombstone, and we chose uh, the music is over, but the melody plays on. Oh, I and love that's that. That's my goal. I love that. Final question. What is your life's purpose? 
Well, my my purpose is uh, to show others that no matter how far you get down, uh, uh, spiritually, uh, in your marriage, your life, that it can be turned around, uh, and and it, it, it's able you're able to do it by growing in our faith and helping others, and uh, that's that's kind of my purpose, you know. Well, Earl, I do it through what I call media that matters. Absolutely. Well, Earl Hurd, thank you so much. CEO and founder of BIC Alliance. I really appreciate your time. If you will just stay on the line a moment, I need to get some other information from you. But Sounds I want- great. And, and to all your audience out there, I, I wish you all great success and health and um, happiness during the coming year. And just remember, happiness is a choice. Absolutely. And much, uh, much continued success for you as well. I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until next time, love to lull.